Welcome to The Rodcast with Rod Turner, the show all about real estate. We discuss everything that affects asset-backed businesses, investments, and go deep into the details with some of the best in the business. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Rodcast. Today, I'm joined by Ed Mead. Ed is in various publications, such as I think it's the Sunday Times columnist and, and various other ones. He's, he was on the board of Douglas and Gordon, I think, for about 17 years, was it, Ed? Yeah. And, uh, and is now the founder of Vuba. So welcome, Ed. Thanks very much for joining us. Well, nice to be here, Rod. Thanks for, thanks for listening to me. So, Ed, I guess if we can start a bit about your background. You've been in the property industry quite a while and obviously you've got an estate agency background do you want to start start maybe there yeah well like most people in a state agency I didn't start off wanting to be an estate agent I sort of wanted I don't know what I wanted to be really an engineer or whatever and uh, when I got booted out of university I um, came to London and started off as an estate agent at Chesterton's actually in 1979 uh, in the days when they used to train you up properly but like a lot of agents in that era, they didn't then follow that up with job offer, proper job offers. They expected you to stay loyal. And back in the late 70s, early 80s, there was the renaissance, or not the renaissance, but there was the coming of the sort of boutique, small, groovy estate agency. And I went to work for Aylesfords, who were definitely one of the grooviest at the time. They were very much servicing a lot of the influx of overseas buyers coming in, particularly people um, following, coming, particularly Iranians coming to London after the Shah was deposed in 79. And then obviously um, foreigners, you know, overseas buyers, foreigners coming to London has been a characteristic of the central London market ever since. So it was a great blooding, a great, great time to be around completely, a bit like the Wild West back then, but, but really good fun. And I was very privileged to have some great bosses at the time who, who for whom being, um, for whom service and knowing who your client was, which was the most important thing. So uh, that was a very uh, that that was a great formative time, and then um, for me, I landed at Douglas and Gordon in nineteen ninety four ninety five, and stayed with them. Great name, great business. Got on really well with the owners, and it was a fantastic business, mainly a lettings business. But uh, and that was really for me the start of my not extracurricular career, but learning so much about the industry, applying it within the industry working in Chelsea exclusively for that entire period from 1979 right the way up until 2016 when I left to, to go and start Vuba. So quite a long time to be in one market, really. I, um, I've, I've got this image in my mind of uh, sort of 1979 Iranians coming over here because my wife is Iranian as well. So I, got, I get to hear a lot about kind of the Shah and, and things like that. So I've, I've, I've got a picture in my mind of people kind of coming to look at buying houses, maybe with big bags of cash in Chelsea. I don't know if it was like that. Well, that certainly did happen at some point. I mean, not necessarily with Iranians. I mean, the Euro yeah. was the funniest time for that in the, in the late 90s when um, a lot of the, particularly Southern Mediterranean countries, realised that the cash they had under their mattress or whatever was going to have to be spent. And they really did come with literally suitcases full of cash and walk into the office and go, I want to spend this, please. And that was, uh, that was highly entertaining. And that's, but that's for a separate... Uh, podcast that really is that's for a separate conversation oh, um, 
I'm excited to have that one. <laughs> uh, but it was a very interesting time. And, and, and the Iranians that came over, the Persians, were absolutely fantastic. And they all wanted to live in a very specific area. And they're still there. They're still in that area around just south of Hyde Park. It's a very um, traditional area for them. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Fantastic. And obviously with Douglas and Gordon, I think when you arrived there, they had sort of five, five offices. And by the time you left, it was a damn sight more than that. And you mentioned they were predominantly lettings and you helped build up that sales side of things. How, how uh, talk to us about kind of the scaling of, 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 that, of that business and what were some of the difficulties and also opportunities that you were able to jump on in that era? Well, I'm a great believer that you, you sort of earn your place in a market and particularly in London, D&G had a great presence at a time from the late 50s when they started purely as a rentals business in Chelsea. They then started south of the river. So very, very early on back in the 70s, they were in Battersea, in Clapham, in Wandsworth. These were aerial, well, Clapham certainly, and, and Fulham. And those were times when nobody else was there. There were no other sort of established names there. So um, the difficulty with any business that you have like that is getting into a new area. I mean, Foxton's used to do their sort of 0% thing where they'd say, right, we'll just, we'll just go in and get lots of boards. But it takes time to get trust. And if you haven't got the sort of wherewithal to do that, well, what used to be that style of John Hunt Foxton's marketing, it just takes time. So the scaling, as you call it, of going from five to 18 offices did take some time. Need to do research, how many chimney pots, the old sort of style stuff which you looked at and wanted to check. But the, um, the principal thing that used to differentiate what we used to do was our marketing. It was very, very different. We used to have um, a really cool uh, managing director, a guy called Ivor Dickinson, um, who was a very entertaining uh, guy, had some great ideas about marketing, and it really differentiated us from the opposition. And the good thing about D&G was that underpinning that entire expansion was this huge lettings portfolio that had been building up for 20 years. So it's a much more organic process than with a lot of stuff you get these days. And it's just a gentle progression. Um, these days, some people want to choose different ways of doing things. But back in those days, you needed to earn your presence in the market. Mm. And I bet that lettings kind of portfolio really helped when there were certain downturns where maybe other estate agencies didn't have that as the backup well, very few did, Rod, in those days. Yeah. Very few agents thought lettings was particularly worthwhile. Right. It wasn't really until, t until 08, 09 that a lot of people decided that they should get into lettings because yeah. their sales sides were decimated overnight. Of course, yeah. Well, I say decimated. Decimated means one in ten was the old thing. It was a lot worse than decimation. It was, uh, they were annihilated overnight. Yeah. So they, if they didn't have lettings, they pretty quickly got into it. So obviously that's the scaling of the estate agency part of the business so how has that differed to scaling a fintech company like Vuber, which i think started prop tech company oh, even prop tech, sorry not fintech <laughs> it's all right. uh, obviously you, you started this i think in was it 2016 yeah and it, it i mean it's 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 really blown up it's widely known now um i, I don't know many landlords that don't know about Vuber, especially now where We've got lots of London investors investing up in into some of the provinces as well, chasing yield, um, and that brings with it more operational problems for them as well. So how's, how has the scaling of that business differed to the scaling of a more traditional business like Douglas & Gordon? 
Well, it's been, it's easier in some ways and more difficult in others. Um, it's, it's difficult because you've still got to take on people. You've got to spend money on marketing. You've got to know where to spend it. And perhaps the different thing is that you've got to scale the tech. You've got to develop the tech that can grow with the business. And, you know, I think with any business, um, there was a great team at Douglas and Gordon, and I've been very lucky to have a business partner, Marcus Tafranti, who, who, who absolutely knows about the things that I don't. So he knows about tech, corporate finance, this sort of stuff. So we've been able to grow and scale quickly because we each have a knowledge of, what's, of, of, of sort of what's needed. There's still plenty of tension, creative tension. But the, the manpower is less... Well, actually, let me take a step back. Funnily enough, from my point of view, the reason I knew it would work it was one of the things that we'd, I'd learned at, at D&G, which is from 96 onwards, I, I started creating quite a big PR profile for myself. A sort of, um, it, it became clear very quickly that the press responded well to someone that said things as they were. So I used to do that. I got a great press Following, I ended up, you know, I, I had for 10 years, I had a column in the Telegraph. You mentioned the one in the Sunday Times, and I did all sorts. I did a couple of BBC TV series. All this stuff purely came from PR, and it was very difficult. In those days, people just thought if you were in PR, you were just some gobby person who just wanted to talk a lot. And actually, I knew what I was talking about, so I was very happy to tell people things as, the, as they yep. were. And so the value of that was very difficult to create. But what I realized when I started up Viewba or part of the reason we started up people was that I knew we could scale off the back of that PR. And it's been enormously important. I mean, you can't objectively value PR. A lot of people use crass methods like, oh, we had 50 insertions last week or so many. That's rubbish. That's not what it's about. You have to measure it in terms of the influence that you have. And that really helped us scale Viewer very, very quickly. So a combination of being able to go national, you know, if you are in the property injury, certainly in the estate agency side, Viewers now spread into housing associations, build to rent, property management, auctions, lots of other things. But in the estate agency sector, if you if you talk to, and I do a column in something called Property Industry I, there's a state agent today, there's the negotiator, those three things really sort of dominate the the day-to-day conversations that estate agents will tend to have and it'll, it'll certainly report them so i recognized very early on that that was important and i don't think a lot of people do mm. well I've, I've got several questions then leading from that on the pr front but before then i, I think it would just be beneficial for anyone that doesn't know what viewer does if you could just very quickly um let them know what it is that Viewer is. No, fair enough. We built, um, I mean, I recognized when I left Douglas and Gordon, or the reason I started it was that I knew we had problems with weekend viewings. And I, you know, we had one member of staff who would work at weekends and their diary was full by Tuesday. And so I thought, well, I'd really love to have a service we could dip in and out of. So what we've created with Viewer is a, is a network of many thousands of, of retted, retted, vetted and highly rated viewers all over the UK, these average age tends to be 53 and anybody in the property industry can book a viewer, and this is in every postcode all over the UK, to go and do a local task for them. So that could be a viewing, an inspection, a photograph, a floor plan. There are lots of other stuff. We decided not really to get into the floor plans and the photographs and stuff because that was already a very um, heavily congested area. But in terms of that last mile viewing service, what viewer does is enable anybody in property to connect to somebody anywhere in the UK to go and do a viewing for them when they can't do it or an inspection. 
and, and I've, I've used Uber for inspections and viewings and it's been, they've been great. So the other thing, by yeah. the way, which we've done, which is quite odd because it's on the other side is we've, we, a, a, a local viewer can go and do a report on a property if you're an investor. So if you're an investor and you're thinking of, you know, as, as you alluded to earlier, uh, Rod, if you're in London and you want to buy in a university town up north to get some yield, you can, but you don't want to go way out there to have a look at the property. You can send the viewer around to, to find out whether the property really is what the agent says it is, do a quick video, whatever it is. You know, 35, 40 quid to go and get someone to go and give you a second set of eyes on is really quite reasonable, I think. So well, that's I, a big area of growth for us. I think the tr- a, train tr- a train journey return to Manchester is about 150 quid or something ridiculous like that. So, yeah, hu- huge cost saving yeah. there in itself. Um, so if we then go back on to what you were talking about before, I mean, you, you were getting into discussing PR and how off the back of that it helped kind of expand the business and help you kind of get a kickstart on on Uber. Um, as you kind of said, a lot of people don't really talk much about PR, um, especially about when it comes to measuring it. I thought that was a really interesting point. Um, so you, you mentioned you're known for having quite quite a, a great PR background and, and you mentioned some of those publications you're in and BBC shows. How would you say it's enabled you uh, and how important has it been in your growth in sort of Ed Mead PLC's growth over the last 20 odd years? Oh, it's, it's been absolutely vital. I mean, I couldn't have done, I, I couldn't be doing what I'm doing now or have the business where we are now without the PR profile, undoubtedly. And it is very difficult for people to value it. The trouble is people often tend to lump PR and marketing in together, but they're yeah. two very, very, very different disciplines. And the other problem stroke advantage that I had, and it was pure luck. I mean, I'm not ascribing any form of genius to doing this, but I happen to be, if you shove a camera or a microphone in front of me, I don't change. I'm not so good in front of groups of people. If you put me in front of a crowd, I'm a bit different. But for TV and, and, and radio, I don't alter my delivery. It doesn't, it doesn't bother me. And that's really rare. 99.9% of people, you shove a camera in front of them, they go completely wooden and they go like that. and They're just really worried about it. Or a microphone, and they, they really can't do it. And even big, very big, well-known PLC estate agents struggle to find one or two people within their entire organization of thousands often who they would put in front of a camera. And they're very worried sometimes about putting the people who do run these businesses in front of the camera, precisely because of what I was saying earlier, they're very wooden or don't give the right impression. And did you find in doing the PR at different stages in the market that people wanted to hear different things? Because certainly I, I found that when there's a really strong market, everyone's positive and people don't necessarily want to hear about anything maybe negative or that seem to be negative. But then the opposite happens when there starts to be a bit of a downturn. Suddenly everyone wants to or, or doesn't maybe want to, but everyone seems to kind of feed off negativity in that um you mentioned before you you were kind of people seem to get drawn to you because you would say things as they were and as they were happening i mean how how do you think that is is there any truth in what i've just said or well i i can't add anything more to your penultimate sentence i said things that, that, that were actually happening so many people I mean, a lot of people think PR is about, you know, saying, oh, this is a lovely house and isn't it lovely? It overlooks the greenery and, and today is open view day. So therefore, we'll put this property out. All that sort of stuff is important. You know, keep property of the day in, the, in bricks and mortar and all that sort of stuff or property of the week. All that stuff is important. But what people really like and what gets you the, 
the mentions in the high-profile columns with the guys in the FT, the Times, the Telegraph, the, the, the things that serious people read is sentiment. It's saying, saying what you think is going on. And that, that can sometimes be very negative. You know, yeah. if, you're, if I'm sitting in an office and I've got 110 instructions on my books and I'm sitting there saying, well, actually, I think Central London is going to be really difficult for the next six months. You know, clients may well ring up and say, well, what are you doing? You know, why, why are you talking the market down? And that's not the point. People want to hear honesty. They want to hear what's really going on. Not, as people always do, they know when they're being sold to. Yeah. And they react really badly to it. Absolutely. We touched on talking about some of the periods of time where markets have gone up and down. How has this recession, and uh, I, I guess we are in, in a recession of sorts at the moment, how has this differed to previous ones in terms of the property market? So back in kind of 1989, the, the, the issues then and, and 2008. What's, what, what's your feeling towards this one compared to those? Very, they always go on longer than you think. Um, central London is removed from most of these issues because the market works according to um, exchange rates, often rather than interest rates. Um, I mean, the post-double Myras um, problems in 89 went on till, you know, 88, 89 went on till 98. It was 10 years worth of, of, of um, change and, and, and difficulty. High interest rates, you know, exchange rate mechanism problems. There were, you know, there, there's always something going on, which is what makes property interesting. But of course, property is a liquid. People buy property for the long term. No one buys property to, well, very few buy it to flip it and, yeah. and, and, and sell it overnight. So um, it, it's, it's always a question about being patient and taking the long view. I mean, 0809 was very different in London. We all expected to be completely wrecked. But actually, of course, it was a V-shaped recovery. So anybody that happened to buy a property in March 2009 found it had probably gone up about 40% in value in about a year or two years. That's just luck. There's nothing clever. It's one of the most irritating things about properties. You, you so often come across people who, are, who think they're, you know, Bill Gates or... Um, you know that they think they're terribly clever because they've done well out of property when the market's going up you don't need to be a brain just when to buy something when the values are going up but a lot of people particularly a lot of the baby boomers I mean I count myself as being one of them I've been very lucky um, what's going on at the moment is obviously difficult because you know if you look back at what happened in 0809 some areas of the UK prices and I mean nominal prices not even real prices nominal prices are still below where they were in 08 in 0708 so you know, it hasn't been an easy time, and it's only been really un very, very low interest rates that have underpinned what's going on. And of course, you know, what went up always, you know, there's always a chance it'll come down. In London, you know, we're probably what twenty percent off where the prices were in two thousand and fourteen, fifteen. Yeah. So that rebound that came back after oh eight oh nine was was clearly an over correct over upward correction to some extent. It's now come back a bit. Personally, I think it's relatively cheap at the moment, and I think as so long yeah. as we can get. Well, as long as Trump does leave, so long as Brexit happens in some way or another, so we actually know what's going on and the vaccine arrives, I think a lot of people might find next year, the beginning of 21, that London's actually relatively undervalued in the centre. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I certainly agree with that, especially around the prime inner London as well. Mm. 
Um, and even in the suburbs, um, well, I call it suburbs, who knows what a suburb is now, but some of these bigger houses, kind of southwest London, things like that. Well, I think the area is one of the sad things about what's gone on over the last 20 years, 25 years, since we had so many overseas buyers coming to London, is that this, one of the really sad things is that the centre of London have got, the centre of London has got a bit hollowed out. The kind of people that used to live off the King's Road in these Redburn, Reedsdale Street houses now can no longer afford to live in them. They're four million, five million pound houses. So they've all moved into, I mean, no one's crying for them, but they're, move, they're moving in, they're living in Fulham and Wandsworth, Clapham, those sort of areas. And those areas have really benefited from having people who actually live and work in London. It's sad, though, for the centre when you drive around and see there are so many lights off. Mm, no, definitely. And especially now with um, kind of tourism and hospitality closed up, it means a lot of those uh, properties which were typically kind of short lets um, have now flooded the market because there is no demand for the short let. So Ed, what changes did you notice in the estate agency industry to make you decide that it was the right time to leave and start Uber? Well, it was partly that I'd been in it for so long. I think in any business, you get to a stage where people think, you know, has he outlived his usefulness? And from my point of view, I'd certainly outlived my excitement about the industry. Um, One of the issues we had was that I moved from running an office to being, to, to helping run the business. Uh, and I didn't enjoy that. That's not me. I'm, I, I'm a deal doer, message giver, uh, front man. That's what I enjoy doing and talking to people, not sitting in the back room looking at figures. And it's just not me. So my enjoyment had gone out of it. Um, and the other thing was simply, I mean, my, my lovely wife is in, this in, is in this industry as well. And she knows what the issues are in the industry. And whenever we were lucky enough to have a place in Dorset and we were walking around the fields, May, I think it was, 2014. And she was saying, come on, like, like you do when you're walking around. You're always trying to think about the next lottery win or the next big idea. And she was saying, come on, what's wrong with your industry? And I said, well, one of the things we have is, and I described the problem about weekend viewings and having enough staff. And, you know, older staff don't want to do weekend viewings. Young staff can often be a bit unreliable or, or temporary staff can be unreliable. And uh, she said, that's a really good idea. We should do that. So I then had to, I tried it with a couple of people, talking to them about it to get it funded. And then, um, and then I bumped into Marcus, who just, I think, stopped flying jets around for the RAF or something. So he was, he was looking for something to do and he was really excited about doing it. So I just thought, hang on a minute, I'm really excited about this. And I was excited in a way that I hadn't been about anything for quite a long time. I didn't realize it would be quite such hard work. In case you hadn't noticed, my hair isn't the same color as yours. And I had my 60th birthday earlier on this year. So I'm a bit old for this startup. <laughs> malarkey but um but luckily it's going in the right direction um you know we've just actually here we are in december just before christmas i've just you can set i can say that because you've got your christmas tree behind you so people reading people watching this will know um we've just completed a funding round with existing investors our first one for three years so the business is on a good footing brilliant well, well done what in terms of kind of obviously the, the business growing, uh, you started to provide additional services. So obviously Viewer started out just as doing those, um, the, the viewings. Um, and now you've got all sorts of other services which you uh, spoke about earlier. Um, what's been some of the difficulties or challenges in providing some of those additional services, such as I think you mentioned floor plans, which you've gone off, but doing reports, um, doing an inspection, things like that? Well, a lot of it, Rod, was around the demand we got. People asked us whether we did this stuff. 
and some of the people that we do business for. I mean, well, one of the things, for instance, that Viva has opened up is the ability for the sort of backroom agent. Yeah. You know, the stuff that you simply couldn't do before, there's absolutely no reason why you can't start up in your back bedroom a business and have viewings, inspections, floor plans, photographs, everything you need done anywhere in the UK. And that is, that's never been the case. There's often been the tech or some kind of tech available, but not that last mile connection, that bit which actually gets you into the property. So I think from that perspective, that's been, a, um, that's been quite a game changer. I said to you earlier that we didn't want to get into the photographs and the floor plans and all that stuff to start with because it was so competitive. But actually, we very quickly realized that there are probably two or 300 freelance contractors in the UK who do most of the work, if not all of it, for any of the supplying companies that you as an agent will, will, will pay to do your business for you. And when the business is very, very busy, so, you know, it comes September, very busy, March, February, very, very busy, it can get quite expensive and difficult to get your thing booked, to get your service booked in for, for when you want it. And then there are times, obviously, when the agents, you know, when, when these people are very, very, when there isn't so much going on. But for the busy periods, we discover people are saying, can't you do it? So we, we thought, well, we'll do this. And we have an, an academy at Viewber, so in an online academy. So our viewers can train themselves up to standards and our booking algorithm allows agents or property managers, landlords, whatever, to, to book people with the required service. And our algorithm, just the, the business request goes out to the, to, you know, to, to the right people. So a lot of our viewers were very keen to upskill themselves. A lot of them are ex-property. So they said, so they said, can we do floor plans? Can we do 360 tours? So a lot of these guys have upskilled, upskilled themselves, gone out and bought the hardware and now do the work. And we're amazed. The prices we were worried about thinking they were rather expensive. The market seems to think they're incredibly cheap. So the unusual thing about Viewber is you get one point of access. So you go online to your dashboard. You can book anything anywhere in the UK for the same cost anywhere in the UK. And it's one service. It's not a load of franchisees. There's no problems with, with anything like that. It's just, so our ability to provide all those things really, they're not, I don't think they are cheap, but they appear to be cheap compared to the rest of the market has led us to the conclusion that we can do a lot more of this stuff a lot more reasonably for people. And they seem to like it and they trust us. Fantastic. You mentioned they're kind of talking around back room uh, lettings um, and I'm, I'm certainly seeing a lot of that come about. Do you think the days of having to have a, a high street office then are, are numbered for especially some of the letting stuff, but maybe also the estate agents? Or do you think I think it slightly be- depends where you are. I mean, I think the issue for, for whether you need a high street office or not is, is certainly time related. In 15 years time, I don't think you will, because I think most people of my kids age will by then be wanting to do things via WhatsApp phones, you know, they, 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 you know, via messaging systems. They're not going to want to talk to people. They're, not, they're certainly not going to want to go and see somebody and they won't walk up and down the high street often enough to be influenced by seeing the office you walk past all the time. So I don't think at the moment you could do without it. I think it helps to definitely have it at the moment and there's a market for both. It's also why lettings is so much more tech enabled because the average person who lets or who rents tends to be a bit is, is younger. So they're used to using all these new forms of communication and, and they expect things to be done differently. They're, they're used to filling in forms, signing things electronically and not having to actually talk to somebody on the phone. The problem with selling is that the average age of a first-time buyer is still mid-late 30s. And so a lot of people who buy properties still expect things to be done in the old-fashioned way and they want to be able to talk to somebody or shout at somebody or whatever it is that they need to be able to do. But that will change fairly shortly. So 
I, I, that certainly wasn't our intention. When we started the business, we didn't think, right, we're going to really help the online agents or people that want to do things by themselves. We thought that the estate agents, the high street estate agents, would rush, rush to us to use us for those weekend or extra viewings. But our biggest issue has been that we've been fighting the status quo, not another service because there's nobody else doing what we do. Um, it's the status quo. It's, you know, people coming to us and saying, well, why would I pay you 25 quid to go and do a viewing when I can get a school leaver to do it at weekends for 10 quid? Well, that's fine. You've only got one of them. They're dialed before by Tuesday. They're highly unreliable. And actually, having members of staff go out and do viewings costs over 30 quid. We've done a lot of research that shows by the time you take people's on-target earnings, you know, national insurance, car, holiday pay, office, desk costs, everything else, it costs an average of 32 pounds, just over 32 quid to, do a, to get a, someone out to do a viewing. And we charge a lot less than that. And it's a variable cost, not a, not a fixed cost. So, so we didn't set out. What, what we've actually ended up doing was not what we set out to do. And we haven't ended up doing quite as much as what we did do, as, as what we thought we would do when we set out. Absolutely fascinating. Thanks, Ed, so much for coming on. I've, I've, I've loved talking to you. And, and I find Viewers kind of business model brilliant and like i said we we've used it and 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 found it really really useful um i'll make sure i put a link in the show notes to anyone who wants to have a look thank at you rod that's very kind the prices um but yeah once again just wanted to thank you for coming on the show and uh hope you hope your uh funding raise goes uh goes swimmingly and onwards and upwards for you well, that's all happened and it did go well so uh yeah we got all the money in the bank so uh so uh, that's great on to the next phase and uh, Merry Christmas mate absolutely and, and to you speak soon good stuff if you enjoy the broadcast please don't forget to give us an iTunes review there's a link in the show notes to do that it just helps other listeners find our podcast and if you're interested in what any of our guests do please look into the show notes for their details also if you're interested in the property businesses that I'm involved in or in my consultancy services please do contact me via the email you guessed it it's in the show notes don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so that you don't miss any new episodes as they come out thanks again for listening hope you enjoyed it